Hello and welcome to the Curiosity Podcast, a show to help you thrive in your e-commerce and digital business. And now your host, Matt Edmondson. Well, hello and welcome to another podcast, Curiosity Podcast, the e-commerce show with me, Matt Edmondson. This episode is in fact episode number 10 of season number two, which makes it the final episode of season two. Can you believe we are at the end of season two already? Oh, goodness me, it's been it's been mammoth. It's been amazing. And if you haven't been uh, sort of following us so far, if you knew the show, big welcome. We talk about all things to do with e-commerce. I myself run e-commerce businesses. I'm a big fan of e-commerce, especially at the moment uh, in the midst of the COVID crisis. Um, e-commerce is a brilliant thing to be involved with. There is no doubt about it. And uh, I just love it. So we do a podcast about it. And rather than hear me ramble on, uh, we have a special guest on each show. And today's special guest is a brilliant young lady who's going to talk to us about user-generated content and we're going to get into that in just a few minutes time. I'm really looking forward to this interview because uh, in the pre-call, which we do, as I do with all, I guess, I have a conversation with them before we actually record the podcast, just to make sure I know what we're going to talk about on the show uh, and to try and make it a little bit more interesting um, than just sort of, you know, that initial sort of awkwardness you get for the first 10, 15 minutes. But in that pre-call I had with Joanna, we had a great conversation and I took lots of notes. Um, so make sure you've got your notebook ready because you're going to need it because Joanne is going to give you a whole load of wisdom. Uh, so, yeah, welcome to the show. Now, as I said, this is actually episode number 10 of season number two, if what is in my notes is correct. And I'm, I've no doubt to believe uh, the efficiency of Sadaf and the team to make sure this is all correct, uh, which means uh, the next episode that we air will be the start of season three. Yes. And there are some more changes coming now. We made some big changes between season one and season two. The biggest change was, there were two big changes actually. Uh, big change number one was uh, I wanted to make sure we had a guest on every show. So we've had a, a special guest on every episode of season two. And I love the format. I don't know what you guys think about it. I absolutely love this format of having a guest on the show. We are definitely carrying that on. Uh, one of the changes that we're going to do, as well as carrying on interviewing the experts, is we're going to get a few more e-commerce business owners uh, to talk about their websites and get some uh, insights from them. So that's some of the changes coming up in season three. Uh, we also, the second big change for season two was we decided whenever we would record the interview, we would broadcast that interview on Facebook Live at the same time. Why would we do that? to ourselves is a question I'm still wanting to know the answer to, if I'm honest, because techn tech the technological challenge, if I can get those words out, well, it's quite high. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's quite involved. Uh, simple, but involved. And so uh, we've managed to figure that out, which is great. Um, and so the one thing I've not managed to figure out yet is how to simultaneously stream on LinkedIn Facebook and YouTube. So that'll be coming up in season three. We're going to put it in three different places all at the same time because I really like doing it live, uh, broadcasting it live. You guys get to see that. You get to interact with your questions and your comments and all that sort of stuff. So if you don't follow us on Facebook uh, and you would like to, just head on over to facebook.com forward slash Matt Edmondson CO 
uh, Matt Edmondson CEO, Matt Edmondson Co. in effect, uh, and you will find us. Or go to the website, mattedmondson.com, uh, and you will find all the links that you need on the website, including notes to today's um, show, all the blog posts, all the transcripts, all the links that Joanna's going to give you. We'll put them all in the show notes. So head on over to mattedmondson.com, and you will see all of that. So the end of season two, the, the the start of season three is going to be very, very soon. So uh, again, we've got some, like I said, we've got some big changes coming f- again for season three. But I'll, I'll tell you more about those at the start of season three because, you know, you've got to keep you interested, right? Uh, so make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, if you're listening to the audio version of this on the podcast, it's great to have you. We started out as a pure podcast. I still love the podcast medium. Uh, as one person said to me, I've got a great face for radio. So podcasting works well for me, right? And I really, really like doing the podcast. So if you're listening to the podcast, uh, it is great to have you. If you're new, it's great that you've joined us. Please do subscribe to the show. Uh, We release a podcast. We try and release a podcast once a week uh, if we can. And like I say, we have great guests who just bring some really valuable content. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you want to join us on the lives, follow me on LinkedIn, follow us on Facebook um, and or YouTube, because we're going to try and do it on all of those three channels uh, in the future. So uh, go for it. Now, before we get into the conversations with our amazing guest, I just want to give a big shout out to our amazing show sponsors. The first one being, of course, Curious Digital, who have sponsored every single episode of the podcast so far. Curious Digital is an e-commerce platform uh, that actually I use for my own e-commerce businesses. I've been involved in the development of it. Not that I do coding anymore. It's been a, It's been years I think the last time I actually wrote some decent code was probably about 2008. So, you know, we're going back a good ways, 10, 12 years. Uh, But I definitely had a hand in developing this platform because, you know, I have some very strong requirements where e-commerce is concerned. I didn't just want any old nonsense that a developer had put together. I wanted a platform that had been thought through and designed for people that actually run e-commerce businesses, that think about all of those things that e-commerce Uh, entrepreneurs and e-commerce managers have to think about, right? We have to work through some stuff. And I think you only get to know that when you've actually been in the trenches for a little while. And so it was great to be involved in the development of that. And like I say, it's such a great platform. We use it um, on all of our e-commerce sites. We've got a few sites coming out soon, some new sites coming out, some new e-commerce sites, which I'm super psyched about. We'll definitely be telling you more about those in season three as they're released. But guess what? All of them are going to be on the Curious Digital platform. That's right. All of them, without fail, are going on that platform. There's a reason why I use it. So if you're starting out, check it out. If you're, you know, you're on Shopify and you're looking for a new upgraded platform and you're thinking about, say, Magento, check it out because seriously, Curious Digital is phenomenal and what it can do is definitely worth getting involved with. And the second show sponsor, one of our newest show sponsors, is in fact Lightbulb Agency, which is an end-to-end e-commerce services business. They help you do all of those bits of e-commerce which you either don't have the time to do or the skill to do or the expertise to do or even 
care to do, but you know they need to be done. Uh, you know, and that could be a whole range of things, whether it's um, fulfillment, whether it's marketing, whether it's product development or fi even finding the right product. How do you do that research? Talk to the guys at Lightbulb. They will happily help you. If you've got a question, give them a call. Check them out at lightbulb.agency. And Curious Digital can be found at www.curious, spelt with a K, dot digital. That's their website. There we go. They're the show sponsors. They're amazing. Do check them out. And like I say, all the links to them will be on the website, mattedmondson.com. And you'll notice, actually, when you go to mattedmondson.com, it is also built on the Curious Digital platform. Just saying, hashtag just saying. Uh, and uh, we're part, at the time of recording this episode, we are halfway through the recording of our new e-commerce course, which is super cool. Uh, and the course is, is designed for those who, who are wanting to set up their own e-commerce business. Um, and so we're taking guys through a six-week process on how to do that on a live webinar. It's going great. Watch out for it because when that course is released, there's some great stuff in there. All on mattedmidson.com. Anyway, I feel like I've talked enough about all of those kind of things. Let me big up our guest, right? So we're going to talk to the fabulous and wonderful uh, Joanna Steele, who has worked with Argos. And she has now ventured out on her own. Uh, and we're going to find out why. And we're going to learn all the secrets that she learned at Argos. Um, she's got over 15 years experience, digital marketing, e-commerce, user-generated content, how to get reviews on your website. We are going to cover it all. Let me tell you, you're in for a treat. Like I said, I loved the pre-call with Joanna. Um, I took lots of notes. So make sure you've got your pen and paper ready. ready. I am going to bring Joanna into the show right now. Joanna, you are on the air. It's great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks. Hi, Matt. Hi, everybody. Oh, I can't hear you. Are you on mute? Oh, no. Try that again. <laughs> can you hear me now? Hi, Matt. I can. I just, technical error. Forgot to put the volume thingy up. That's fine. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hi, Matt. Hey, it's great to have you. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. Really well. Yeah, how are you coping in the midst of all things COVID? I'm getting there. I think it's like everyone, right? Ups and downs. It's the they call it the Corona coaster. So some days you kind coaster. of yeah. you feel you know kind of on top of the world, and then other days you feel a bit flat. Um, but yeah, just riding through the through the emotions of it. Really, yeah. um, I'm fit and well. Um, my family are fit and well. You know, we're That's cooking good. loads, we're spending time together. So you've got to sort of be be grateful um, at a time like this, definitely. You do. You absolutely do. Uh, and you're totally right. And so grateful for my health, grateful for the fact that it's actually been sunny, you know, today in, in the UK, because I think the weather makes a big difference. Massively. Um, so, yeah, like you, I'm at home at, uh, working from, are you working from home at the moment? I am, yes. Yeah. yeah you're finding, how, how are you finding that whole process? Um, it's pretty good. I've managed to get myself into a routine, um, which involves, you know, waking up, going for a run most days, oh, wow. um, taking, taking, you know, enough breaks. Um, and, but also, you know, on days when you don't really have the energy, not being too, too harsh on myself as well. So yeah. trying to get that balance, trying to get that balance. Well done. I think routine's important, isn't it? It's one of those things they say, you know, to have a good routine is important. And so uh, we've been making sure the kids stay in their routine rather than sleeping <laughs> until midday and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> anyway, enough about COVID. I'm bored talking about COVID. I don't know about the rest of the... <laughs> <laughs> boring now. Um, 
So let's talk about you. So whereabouts in the UK are you right now? So I'm in North London, um, Alexandra Palace. So born and bred in North London. Um, Yeah, so that's where I am at the moment. And how, what's your, what's your sort of your story? Your, have you got from, you know, sort of uh, the career starting to where you are now? You know, not in, I don't need all your life story, but you know what I mean? (laughs) The high points. The high points. Um, Well, I started out, I studied law at the London Metropolitan University. Oh, wow. I did law. I hated it. Okay. (laughs) I loved it. It was great. Did you? Yeah, I did did law and accounting. Right. um, Yeah. But anyway, carry on. Sorry. Yeah. So kind of after year one, realised it wasn't for me. Um, I've always always had an interest in business, um, but I'm a creative as well. So I I transferred to a marketing and Spanish degree. Oh, wow. Um, That's a big change. Massive change. Um, Spanish because I was always good at languages um, and my sort of career aspirations were to work internationally and marketing because it is actually the creative side of business. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I studied that at university. Um, sort of my first roles are very much in traditional marketing and PR for a variety of different companies, um, news publications, um the arts, music industry. And then I kind of could see how the industry was going and was becoming more digital. So I kind of jumped into a fully fledged online role without having any sort of expertise in online marketing. And um, yeah, I kind of sort of learned on the job, I suppose. And that was for a corporate governance uh, IT software company. Um, and then from there did a variety of digital marketing roles for a number of different, um, organizations. And then I would say more recently, sort of the last 10 years is where I kind of cut my teeth in retail. Um, so I worked, um, for mother care, you know, oh, wow. um, unfortunately no longer with us. Nope. Um, and then, um, let's not the- go there. I had shares in mother care. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, let's not let's not talk oh, about Mother oh. Um But I, I held a variety of roles there. So I looked after, I headed up the social media team, looked after editorial content, um, did the business analyst role, project management. Oh, wow. Um, and then I kind of moved to Argos, where I kind of took up the helm of reviews and customer-generated content. So a very specialist sort of role in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the digital marketing How did you- space. Uh, and sorry, let, before we carry on, let's just clarify for those who, who have no idea what Argos is. <laughs> um, just explain to the listeners about Argos. So Argos are, in fact, one of the UK's biggest retailer. And mm-hmm. um, they are the third biggest website in the UK after Amazon and eBay, which not a lot of people know. Wow. Um, and is essentially- that because it started out as a catalogue company and it, trend- it did that transition well, I thought, Argos, didn't it? really did and in fact you know you could argue that a lot of the processes and the model um when the business first started is actually held it in good stead for now so obviously they had physical stores but never had stock um on the shop floor on display um and so it was always almost like a fulfillment kind of hub really where you just ordered online you check you reserved online and you could go into the store or you could order in store and pick up your product um so yeah general merchandise retailer so you know pretty much like amazon in terms of selling every yeah. and anything yeah no that's interesting i didn't realize it was the third biggest site um but yes. it wouldn't surprise me because like you say its business model was designed 
for mm-hmm. when the internet was born, wasn't it? Argos really, so they they totally benefited from that. So, how did you make the move from Mothercare to Argos? And um, that was in 2016. So towards the end of my sort of role at Mothercare, I was very much focused on reviews and customer generated content. And at the time we were migrating from one review solution to another. And that was a project that I owned um, and, and managed successfully. And in, and in that saved the business a substantial amount of money in that migration. And then I almost became known as the the reviews girl if you like um it's not a bad bad way to be known i suppose yeah not a bad thing and um one of my old colleagues who um i worked with at mother care grant guffog i remember him um he sent me a a link to a role at argos which was the reviews and customer generated content manager um and to be honest, it wasn't a role that I kind of knew really existed. So at Mothercare, I looked after reviews and customer generated content, yeah. but it was kind of part of a bigger role. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually to have a specialist role where there was a, a couple of members in an existing team kind of piqued my interest. Um, and then, yeah, I went for the interview and um, the rest, as they say, is history. Okay. And so you've sort of been there ever since, really? Yeah, there ever since working within the e-commerce team there. Wow, wow! And so, um, so four years total at Argos, is that right? Four years total, yeah. Okay, and your specific role at Argos then was reviews and customer generated content. Yeah, that or was it. CGC, as it is now abbreviated a lot on the web, I've seen. Yes, because you know we're lazy; we can't be bothered to write consumer generated content, <laughs> so we just write CGC. It is a bit of a mouthful, um, but yeah, you know, people call it UGC, um, mm. user-generated content, same thing. So was this, when you moved to Argos, was this quite a new thing that you were involved with? Um, was it quite new for Argos, this whole consumer-generated content idea, or had they been rocking and rolling with that for a while? They'd been rocking and rolling with that for quite a while, um, but I think they were in a position where they really quite early on I understood the value yeah. and, and how, how the um, proposition could grow. And so there were two people who were sort of managing uh, reviews and customer generated content. And then they wanted to formulate a bit more structure. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to bring someone in who was going to look at sort of um, the program from a strategic perspective. Cause at, the, at that time it was very tactical. We collect reviews, they display on the site and that was it. But it's actually, they wanted someone to come in and sort of get, how can we make, make more of this and sort of develop a CGC strategy. Yeah. And actually it was an integral part of the e-commerce strategy um, from the day um, I arrived right up, up until I left. So wow. So yeah, really, and you know, it was a global leading program in terms of review volume coverage. You know, we were collecting over a million reviews each year. Wow. Um, so so yeah, it was a really big focus for the business. And I, I I find this quite fascinating because if you're the third biggest e-commerce website in the country and you're mm-hmm. making a big deal out of consumer generated content, mm-hmm. and let's face it, Amazon do this as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, when we get into this some more, you'll go, oh, okay, now I see what Amazon's doing on some of the stuff, right? Um, the biggest websites in the country are making a really, really big deal out of consumer-generated content. So just briefly, if <laughs> this is the first time people have sort of come across this phrase, consumer-generated content, what what is it? 
What does it mean? What is it? Well, it's about connecting your customers to authentic content that they can trust, right? Mm -hmm. Customers trust other customers. It's that social proofing element. You know, a brand can talk about they're amazing and their products are fantastic, but actually customers trust other customers. So it's, it's, it's a key part of the sort of customer journey. Mm -hmm. So from discovery of a product, you know, exploration of a product all the way through to ownership. And you can see different types of customer, custom, different types of CGC and um, throughout the customer journey. <laughs> yeah. It's another reason we abbreviate it. It's a lot easier to say. Yeah. It's a, a tongue <laughs> <sister>. um, <laughs> and so you can feed different types of content um, throughout the customer journey. Yeah. So when we say CGC, we talk about ratings and reviews and mm -hmm. um, we talk about Q and A. So that's mm -hmm. questions and answers. We talk about customer images um, and we also talk about customer videos. Yeah. Um, and so it sort of looks at all those different types of content and at each given part of the customer journey, um, each of those different types sort of bear different levels of importance. Yeah. Okay. So just to, so I've got this clear in my own head then consumer generated content or customer generated content, CGC, mm -hmm. um, is that content which they give you. It's authentic, it's authentic content direct from the customer, which you display on your website. And the customers are talking about your company. They're talking about your products. Um, or they're showing them or they're doing a video of them, but in effect, your customer in effect, is telling everybody else what they think about you and your products. And hopefully if you've done a good job of servicing them, they're doing that in a positive way, right? Totally. And it could be your products. It could be your service propositions. And it's, it's probably interesting to kind of um, clarify, I suppose, that it's about content that's been created and published by unpaid contributors. Yes. It's not like, you know, similar to influencer marketing, but it's not because your contributors are your customers and they're not being paid um, to leave that feedback. It's slightly more authentic. I mean, not that I've got an issue with influencer marketing, um, but actually if someone's willing to shout out about your products and they've not been paid for it just because, you know, they want to shout out about it, then uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. It should be encouraged, right? Whether the feedback's positive or negative. Yeah, and we're going to... That's an interesting point. We'll get into that, whether the feedback is positive or negative, because I know you've got a few things to say about that. But let's, um, so we understand what user-generated content is, but why is it important? Why did Argos make such a big deal of it? Why do they make such a big deal of it? Why does Amazon make such a big deal of it? And why should the people listening make such a big deal out of it? Well, I mean, it helps customers um, make more informed purchasing decisions. Um, if we consider sort of reviews specifically, quite often customers uh, talk about a particular feature. They will highlight a particular flaw um, within a product. Um, and it helps customers understand what the product is like in real life, what it looks like in real life, you know, in situ. Um, and also customers are able to understand um, something new about the product and learn more about the product. So in essence, it quite often provides additional information to the product information that a company might put um, and might write about that in the product description. So it's all about really sort of adding more information about that product um, and, and, and being realistic, you know, what is this product like to, to use? We can talk about the benefits, but you know, what are the features like and, and how do they help me, you know, live a better life? How does this product really help me? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, actually. One of the things I've um, 
uh, we're, we're actually one of my e-commerce websites, um, Jersey Beauty Company, is getting upgraded at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. The platform, uh, the Curious Digital platform we're on is getting upgraded, which is a beautiful thing. And one of the things that I've noticed, for example, with our competitors, mm-hmm. um, and, I, you know, or maybe let's competitors are on word, but let's take an example of Lush, you know, the, the beauty company Lush, right? Yeah. Um, and they're everywhere. The biggest shop they seem to have opened in Liverpool was it's just unbelievable, that thing. Uh, stinks to high heaven. But you know what? <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, but one of the things I've noticed that they've done on their website, which I thought was remarkably clever, was they've taken uh, one of their reviews, which I assume uh, has come from a customer and probably answers the the biggest question I'm guessing that customers have when they come straight to that product page. You know, everyone's sort of got these default questions in their head. Mm-hmm. And they've They've, they have the product title and then they have a review from the customer, which they've just copied and pasted into their main body content. Mm-hmm. And every review answers like a key question, uh, mm-hmm. which a consumer would have in mind. And so Lush have used this in a way to answer the questions, like you say. So it's putting that content on there. Um, but they've done it really early on. It's not just at the bottom now. They've put it straight up to give that social proof, which you talked about before. I thought... Did Argos ever do anything like that? Is that? Um, well, we looked at a number of things. Um, we were quite keen. One of the things that we did do was including um, sort of review commentary um, on marketing materials. So some of our sort of offline marketing. Mm. So obviously, you know, Argos had the catalogue, yeah. uh, printer catalogue that they're not not letting go of anytime soon and um we used to print reviews um and put reviews and seed those through the printed catalog okay um so we moved away from just sort of displaying just on the website but mm. also on all the all the touch points whether That's it was really the, interesting yeah, yeah. whether it was the in-store kiosks whether it was a catalog whether it was um marketing material um and there were instances where we did look at the sort of online experience and and to see whether or not positioning um made a difference but we never sort of included um sort of clippings from the reviews in, in any way sort of on page um but obviously the star rating was always sort of next to the product yeah product yeah. name just like it is sort of standard yeah, this is sort of standard thing now isn't it yeah so we've done that we're going to have the product title and the review you know summary uh mm-hmm. rating summary um but i'm actually going to try it where we put the some key reviews up in the main body copy and i want to see what the impact is on conversion mm. um it'll be really interesting um so you know i mean i don't know it but these things are always measured in fractions of a percent, aren't they? And it's the little fractions of a percent that make a big difference. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, watch this space. Uh, maybe in six months' time, maybe we have some data. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. I just thought it was really clever from Lush to do that. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll try that and see how that goes. So uh, we understand what CGC is. We know it's important because it answers questions. Um, it gives social proof. It gives credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you've got other customers talking about it. Um, does it matter? Let's deal with this whole negative review thing straight face straight. on right now, early on. Let's just get get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the complaints, um, or one of the things that people often think is when they see a review that they're doctored. 
Do you know what I mean? You only display the good reviews. You never display the bad reviews. Is it important to display reviews that are like one star, two star, as well as a four star, five star? Yes. <laughs> um, In short, good, yes. Let's move yes. on. Uh, yeah. no, Why <laughs> do you say that? Um, you know, customers want to see the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, and realistically, they're not going to believe necessarily that a product that everybody that's bought this product that's reviewed it thinks it's fantastic. Mm. And we used to do um, quite a bit of studies um, with, with customers to understand how they used reviews. And we found that, you know, quite often customers would filter by one star reviews because they're interested in finding out what the flaws are about the product. That's interesting. Yep. And it, and if people are talking about a feature that they don't really care about, they're actually happy to bypass the negative reviews. Mm. So we often used to get, you know, taken t- to task by our buyers who were, you know, wanted us to remove negative reviews. And the pushback, we always pushed back and said, look, it's so important that we sort of maintain credibility, um, that we are transparent with our customers. And actually we encouraged buyers to, use the negative reviews. So if there is a common theme, what can we do that we perhaps need to change the product? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of filtered that back into the sort of product development process. Yeah. Um, and then another test that we did um, was that a product with a negative review will still convert higher than a product with no review. So have a think about that. So a product with, well, when you say negative, you just mean a low review, like a one. A low review, so say three stars and below. We'll still convert higher than a product with no reviews. That's really interesting. And what, do you know why that is? And again, it's just down to the fact that what are people moaning about um, of, on, in that review? Mm. If it's a feature that I don't really, I'm not really buying it for that. So I'm not too worried about that. And so I'm happy to sort of say, actually, I'm happy to still buy this product. So, you know, don't shy away from negative reviews. Um, mm. Definitely use them to improve your product or service. Um, and, you know, respond to those reviews if there is a common theme or if there's something that you can take away from that let the customer know still thank them for their feedback and that you're going to look into it or look to improve and whatever it is that they're that they're moaning about or that they've had a bad experience with wow that's 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 cool so don't worry about negative reviews in some respects use them to develop your product further because in effect it's it's free sort of free information to help you develop your product better if there's common themes Mm -hmm. um Products with negative reviews, those three stars and below, will convert <coughs> higher than products with no reviews. Yes. That's a bit of a game changer um, because a lot of people will just go, well, I can't put negative reviews on my site. It's better to have no reviews than negative reviews. But you, you flip that around. Flip that around. And the thing is, if you think about a customer, if they see a product with no reviews, to them it think they think that no one's bought it. Mm-hmm. So actually – there and then they're like, no, this product's not for me. No one's bought it. I don't really know what people are saying about it. So I won't take a chance on it. Whereas even if the product has a negative review, you understand that um, the, the product has been bought, it has been used. And if the product, you know, the customer is talking about a feature, like I said, that you're not too worried about yeah. because maybe that's not the feature that you're that interested in, yeah. um, then you'll still go ahead and buy it. So that's, we tested that on a number of products um, and, and and we saw the same sort of same and result. that was true across all categories of products that Argos do? Yes. Yeah. Wow. 
Okay. So, um, and, and in fact, negative reviews also, so they help you develop the products. They're not necessarily going to turn people off. In fact, it's going to help with conversion. Um, but also it, it gives that, I always felt like if there was negative reviews, it, I felt like the rest of the reviews were actually true. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So if everything was five star reviews, I'd be like, that's a little bit doctored, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you, if you see a few one or two star reviews, you go, well, actually I can, tr- I can now, tr-. if you see a good spread, you kind of go, well, I can now trust the rest of them. Definitely. Um, and it always sort of gave that credibility. And I, I don't, did you find this at Argos or is this just Matt's but weird buying behavior? Uh, when I go into a website, I look at um, a five-star review and I look at a one-star review. I just, I go, I immediately filter for the low and I filter for the high and I'll scan through a few of them um, just to see what both parties are saying. And nine times out of 10, like you say, I'll still buy even though they've got a few negative reviews. Yeah, we definitely saw that and customers really would filter by one star reviews and that's how they would even start their kind of um, process when looking at reviews. Um, So yeah, that definitely happened. Wow. Okay. So do you think it's important to enable customers then to filter by reviews on the website? A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I think if it's a low value purchase, someone might look at the star rating and say, okay, it's four stars. I'm happy with that. Mm. But actually if it's a a product that has a higher value, then, you know, customers really want to see the details. So they'll filter by one star reviews. They will look and they will read and they will sort of go through as many reviews as possible um, to really better understand the product. Okay. Um, And did you find then if a product has, um, say an average of three stars versus a product that has an average of four stars versus a product that has an average of five stars. Does the conversion rate go up? I mean, it's kind of an obvious question in some respects, but you saw the conversion rate grow up the higher the rating of the actual product. Generally speaking. Yes. Okay. Now is there then, um, I don't know if you know the answer to this question, uh, but is there a magic number? So let's say you've got an e-commerce website that's Mm -hmm. got no reviews on a product. Would you go to the the person that owns that e-commerce website and say, you need to get at least five, 10, three, one. What's the the minimum really you need for a product? So um, we used to aim for 15, um, but eight is where you begin to see some of the SEO benefits. So anything between eight and 15, you're doing a good job. So, well, that's just led me on to another question. (laughs) <laughs> when, you, when you when you say SEO benefits, what? So I've got eight reviews on a product. What what were you seeing from an SEO benefit point of view? So it's just about how um, that product will then appear naturally, sort of in organic search, because it's the natural language that people are using to talk about the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would see that product appearing more so in, in natural search um, when the product had at least eight reviews. Okay. Uh, that, so that was something that um, uh, the uh, solution that we used, it was a, a number that they kind of presented to us, but actually when we looked into the detail, we saw that to be true. So eight, when you see the SEO benefits, um, and we, we always aim for about 15 at least for each product. Wow. Okay. So, well then what's the, so you talked about, um, uh, UGC, uh, sorry, CGC, uh, let's get the, the acronyms, right. Um, <laughs> you talked about coming into Argos and heading up the strategy. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking, right, this is awesome stuff. I'm going to go and get some consumer generated content. I'm going to go and uh, get some reviews. And then I, co- I hit a brick wall, right? Because I go, how in the world do I go and get eight people to review my product um, when, we're, when I'm just starting out? So what were some of the strategies and the tactics that you had to get people to review your products? Yeah. So, you know, the strategy, the kind of foundation of the strategy was always focused on review, volume and coverage. That was always a key driver for us. Review, Um, volume and coverage. And coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we used to use emails Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, get customers to submit reviews. And um, we never allowed on-site submission because we were very keen that review should only be left on a verified purchase. So we need to know that you have bought that product. Mm -hmm. So we would send an email if you bought that product in store, because we would collect your email for your e-receipt, or if you bought that product online. Um, And we would send an email um, incentivized with a prize draw. um, And it's usually sent two weeks after we know that you have received the product. And that lead time can vary and it did vary. Um, So for example, for clothing, we would send the email about three days after uh, you'd received the product because with clothing, right, when you receive the product, you tend to sort of try it on straight away. And so you have a real good sort of inclination about how you feel about that product. So we we want to capture you sort of, sort of pretty quickly after you've made that purchase. And then something like furniture, um, where you would imagine that it could be, it'll take you time to potentially build the furniture, or it could be part of uh, perhaps you decorating a room. So we would leave sort of a longer lead time for you, for us to send that review email to you. And we would look at. So what would that be instead of three days? Would that be like a few weeks? Yeah, that would be two to three weeks. Um, We used to send a reminder email. So if we sent you an email, you didn't review, we would then send you a reminder email a week later. That generated significant um, volume. Um, We sent the email during lunch times, which worked for us. We tried it on a Sunday. That worked okay. And again, I would suggest just testing it, right? Um, Yeah, so I mean, it sounds like you tested a whole bunch of different things, like for different product categories, you sent them Mm -hmm. at different times. Mm -hmm. But the from, uh, so I get that we need to test because we're all going to be selling different products to different people. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you tested everything. So it's a good place to start. But the the basic premise of what you're saying is if I can if I can hopefully summarize this with all uh, you know, uh, with due care. Um basically whenever someone buys something from your website, you need to email them and ask them to review your product. Um and if they've not responded to that email, you need to email them again at some uh, you know, a follow-up test what is the best time to do that and one of the things that you mentioned which i want to come back to is um you you incentivized it by by the prize draw Mm -hmm. so what what did that look like so we would do a quarterly prize draw anyone that submitted a review irrespective of what the rating was negative positive you just had to submit a review um and we would do a quarterly prize draw where 10 customers would win um, a voucher. And so we incentivized that way. And can I ask how much was a voucher for? A hundred pounds. Wow. So it's a pretty reasonably, pretty reasonable voucher. And then 
how did you, I suppose, did customers believe you were going to do that? Because quite often I get this, you know, do this and enter this prize draw and I think, yeah, whatever. There's, there's just no way, is there really, that's ever going to happen? It's interesting you say that because quite often um, we would send the winner the um, voucher. Yeah. They would not redeem it. So, <laughs> so it, it would be a digital voucher um, and uh, they wouldn't redeem it. So we would look sort of months later and they still haven't redeemed it. Maybe because it might have appeared in their inbox and they thought it was spam. Um, but yeah, so actually... Yeah, some people didn't believe it. But yeah. what we were moving towards was just having a dedicated um, dedicated page on the website to just announce who the winners were. So people were aware that, you know, we were doing this and these yeah, are the people yeah. who won. That's a good idea. So you can put the winners. And again, actually, I know if I won something like a 100 quid voucher off Argos, I'm putting that on Instagram. Yeah. I, I mean, that <laughs> actually is going to give you more consumer-generated content, right, which you Definitely. can then feed back in. So you also mentioned, um, if I can come back to this point, people can't just go to the website, you know, like I've got, um, I've got a water bottle here on my desk, right? I can't mm -hmm. just go to the Argos website, find that water bottle and write a review on it unless I bought that bottle from Argos. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That's correct. Um, however, worth mentioning that we did used to do review syndication. So if you'd written a review of that bottle on the brand website, we would, if we were using the same system, we would syndicate and that review would display on the Argos site. But we would label it and say this review was left on X site. So we did do um, review syndication. Okay, but you were clear where it came from, whether it was a verified Argos purchase or whether it came from this brand is Yeti. So you would say it's a Yeti uh yeti review yeah okay so when um when you were putting new products on the website would would the supplier often have this sort of magic 8 to 15 reviews or would you would you have to do some other work to try and get them because i get that you can ask somebody who's bought it to write a review but what happens if if you're you're trying to hustle and get those reviews at the start yeah um, and that was a challenge right um we at Argos had two catalogue cycles. So twice a year we would have a sort of big cat launch where we'd, there'd be a raft of new products that would appear um, on site. And so the challenge was how do we get reviews on products from day one? So um, I developed a program called the Argos Testers Program, um, which uh, was a community of 5,000 Argos customers. They were selected various avenues, but they were customers who were already writing loads of reviews. Um, it could be competition winners as well. Um, and we would um, ask them information about themselves. So they had to fill in sort of a 30 question um, questionnaire, okay. which, which asked about, you know, where they lived, um, their lifestyle, you know, if they had children, etc. get a real understanding of who they were. And suppliers were then invited to send their products um, to that community. Um, they would write reviews. And so those reviews would then display on the products um, as soon as that product went live on the website. So would the suppliers, um, they would send the product out for free to the review program people? 
They would. Um, but we charged the suppliers to participate in the program. So Okay. So so I'm a manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Just so I'm clear. Sorry to be pedantic. I just want to make sure I've got it. Um and so I'm a manufacturer and I manufacture I'm just picking up stuff on my desk now, Joanne. I just I manufacture these glasses and I want to start putting them on the Argos website. And I yeah. kind of go, right. What I've got to do is I've got to get them on the website, but to get people to buy them, I need reviews. So I'm going to come to you and say, Joanne, I need to get some reviews. And you go, sure, no problem. We've got 5,000 people. Tell me who your ideal customer will we'll send out. You need to give me, what, say 100 units? No, we used to say 10. Oh, okay. Thing about, you know, 8 to 15. Okay. Um, and obviously understanding that, you know, it's a product, the supplier dealt with the shipping. So we said a minimum of 10. So the supplier would send it direct to, I would send paraglasses to 10 people. Um, and those 10 people would write a review. But I would also have to pay you to manage and deal with that program, which is in fact what Amazon do with Amazon Vine you mm-hmm. kind of have to pay to get the reviews because they understand the power of social proof and getting those those uh, reviews in. Okay, I am now understanding. Yeah. So um so one of the things then uh I'm just trying to think I mean this is great for Argos, right? You've got 5000 customers you can go and and get these guys to write the reviews. Mm-hmm. How would that work if um, I am just literally setting up a shop as my side hustle. I, you know, I, I, I work nine to five. I come home, spend two hours a night working on my website. I've got a cool product, um, but no one's really bought it yet. Um, there's no real reviews on the website. I've obviously got to get the reviews up. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of things could, could I do? Have you got any thoughts on that? Well, it's worth mentioning that the community wasn't always 5,000 people. So it started quite small um, and with a few hundred, and then we just sort of grew it over time. Um, But in that instance that you just described, it could be an idea where influencer marketing could come in, Mm in a way to get sort of that kind of feedback on your social media channels, which you could potentially um, put on your, on your website. So again, like you said, you don't have the customers yet, but it might be a way to get influencers to talk about the products um, and sort of feedback in that way. It'd be one angle. Okay, cool. So, but there are things that you can do and you just have to think outside the box. I think is, is, you know, you, you've, you've got to do something there, but um, when you do start selling the product, the one thing that has come, uh, and again, I'm making even more notes, like in my <laughs> my analog notebook with my Brilliant. analog pen. Um, <laughs> I like that as well, notes <laughs> and pen all day. <laughs> um, so one of the things that you've got to do uh, is you've got to be intentional in getting reviews. Now, when we first started, um, say, Jersey Beauty Company in 2006, people would buy the product and they would happily leave a review. Didn't have to ask them, didn't have to do anything. They would just log on and they would leave a review. They were all up for it. Mm-hmm. Let's fast forward to 2020. Yeah, people don't do that. Um, and so we found that unless you specifically asked them um, and asked them more than once, uh, mm-hmm. they were really unlikely to to lead reviews now. Is that, is that something that you found? Is that yeah, I mean, we, out of all the emails that we sent, we used to send, um, it was something like two and a half percent resulted in a, in a review. Mm-hmm. Um, but you imagine, obviously, yeah. um, the industry 
benchmark they sort of say you should be aiming for is about 4%. Um, but yeah, ours sort of sat around two and a half. Um, and so, and you know, we were sending out tens of thousands of emails each week, I suppose, because yeah. of the volume in, in pro- of products that we sold. Um, so, so I still thought, you know, I still find that people are still interested in, in leaving their feedback. Um, I think you just have to think about the different ways in which you can, you can do it. So whether it's, you know, the frequency you send your emails, the, the lead time, the, um, you know, reminder send, the, um, you know, incentive, all of these things kind of sort of mix together, sort of add to the pot to sort of drive that, that volume up. Okay. So is there, um, I'm just, I, I'm just running through the process in my head. So I go kind of go, right. I understand what, um, uh, the consumer generated content is, I understand why it's important. Um, I've now got it in my head, sort of some ideas of how I'm going to go and get people to leave reviews on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the next question in my head would be, well, what is there a specific platform that I should get them to leave reviews on? Should I use Google reviews? Should I use Trustpilot? Should I use? Um... Yeah, I think it depends. So we used um, a solution called Bizarre Voice, which Bizarre is a, Voice. They're a US company okay. um, for our product reviews um, and some of our service reviews, but we also use Trustpilot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Trustpilot is sort of the place, I suppose, for a lot of brands. And as a customer, if you want to find out a bit more about, you know, what this brand is all about, you go to Trustpilot. Mm. It's also a bit of a hotbed for people that want to have a bit of a moan um, as well. So you'll find that. We found that. Yeah, <laughs> quite a few people will put some negative reviews on Trustpilot. Um, and it's an interesting story for Argos around Trustpilot. So, Ooh, do tell. About, <laughs> so probably about four years ago, the Argos Trustpilot score, this is when they used to score out of 10. I think they've changed to scoring out of five, but previously they used to score out of 10. And the Argos score was about 1.2 out of 10. Oh, wow. it, it was diabolical. And that's because, like I said, people use Trustpilot to have a moan and that's where people sort of vent, um, speak negatively about, about your, your service. Um, and so we then, um, started proactively asking customers to leave reviews on Trustpilot. So this was all included in our review email. We talked, you know, we asked for them to review the product and we would ask them to review the service all in one email. Um, and overnight, when we started proactively asking people to leave reviews on Trustpilot, our score went to something like 7.6 overnight. So when you're proactively asking, um, you know, people like to be heard and people like to put their opinion forward. So, so that really helped to drive the um, score um, of our Trustpilot page. Um, But yeah, there's various different um, solutions. When I was at Mothercare, uh, we used Bizarre Voice. We also used Revu. Um, I know f- there's FIFO exists as well. Um, so yeah, th- there's a lot of things on the market really. Um, but I think it's probably worth mentioning that I think it's key that um, you use a third party supplier. Um, and the reason I say that is because Amazon, for example, historically have come under fire for, you know, fake reviews, et cetera. And they have their own platform that they've built. 
But with using a third party, sort of the onus is on the third party. So they moderate the content. And yeah. so it kind of, it kind of removes, removes you from the content. So, you know, Argos, we can't really doctor it, you know, it's moderated externally. Um, and so that kind of helps in terms of making sure that, you know, people trust um, the content that they see. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of on the Argos site, we actually used to be very clear, you know, we use Bizarre Voice, we used to put their logo so people understood, you know, who they were um, and, and sort of that we use them to collect our reviews. That's interesting. Okay. So um, listening to your story about, um, Trustpilot Jersey's sort of journey was the same. We didn't even ever think about Trustpilot until someone came to us and said, "Listen, you've got a really low score on Trustpilot because we had three people from, I think the newest one was 2012. The parcel had gone missing or something. Mm-hmm. We were like, goodness me, we didn't even know this existed. Um, and so, like you say, we were, we were then proactive and started asking people about it. The score changes overnight, mm-hmm. um, and it actually has a big impact." Uh, on your business and it's it's quite significant really um so i guess the advice would be then uh if i can paraphrase would be figure out what a good review platform is for you and your industry um, Mm -hmm. what makes sense Mm -hmm. like if you're a i guess if you're a takeaway you're going to want to use you're not going to use trustpilot necessarily you're going to use something like tripadvisor aren't you to do the reviews Um, depending on where i I guess whatever makes sense for your industry crack on and, and use that um okay so i mean there's a lot there right (laughs) the bottom line is crack on and and do it so and the the benefits of doing all of this coming back Mm -hmm. to what you said at the start um tie in with a better customer service um, Mm -hmm. increased conversion rates is this stuff that you saw on argos happening yeah massively so um we uh, saw, you know, massive uplifts in conversion across desktop, mobile, and our apps as well. So, you know, some of the stats were a customer that interacted with review content would convert, I think on desktop, it was about 50% uplift in conversion. Mobile, it was about 45 and our apps is about 30%. That's a massive uplift massive massive um and we we used to feed it back into um there was we were doing some modeling around returns mm. um and to sort of minimize um customer returns and we used to feeding the rating of a product into that model as well so we were using it in all areas of the business mm. it wasn't just about driving sales but it was about really understanding okay why are people returning the product um, and sort of another example I use is again, I've sort of mentioned feeding it back to the buyers, you know, if we had, there was a furniture range, which will have had really low, um, a low rating and the same theme was coming. I think it was a chest of drawers and the drawers were not sort of fitting into the grooves properly and it kept coming through in the reviews. And so we sort of fed that 
back to the buyers. And so the buyers held a build day. So they kind of got some sample products, you know, from the warehouse and were trying to sort of replicate the problem that the customer was having. Mm -hmm. And then they were able to do so and realize, yeah, we need to sort of fix this um, and then sort of fix fix the product. And then um, the reviews improved when they sort of improved the product. So there are so many ways in which you can use the the information. You know, it really gives valuable insight uh, for the quality assurance teams for product development, um, you know, to improve your service proposition, um, even improving product information, right? You know, we used to get, people would say, oh, you know, in this picture, it looks yellow, but actually it's more of a cream color. And so that would make us realize that actually the photo that we're displaying on the product is not, um, accurate enough and so we would reshoot that image so you can really use the data to sort of really improve um sort of everything about your product really wow okay so um so i'm just trying to picture the guys in the warehouse building this to try and replicate the problem I i find that fascinating um so one of the stories you mentioned, uh, which was a great story, and I, I, I do want to bring it up, but one of the stories you mentioned in our pre-podcast call, uh, talking about furniture, mm-hmm. was the perception that furniture from Argos was pretty much bought by uni students, and, <laughs> and that was it, right? Because uni students had no money, and this was cheap furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you needed to address that, mm-hmm. and you used... Um, consumer generated content or customer generated content, sorry, to do that. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So I suppose it was about um, looking at the brand positioning of Argos Furniture. And like you said, you know, had a reputation of being cheap um, and and not aspirational. It wasn't, you know, if you wanted to buy a new dining room um, table and chairs, you wouldn't go to Argos. And, you know, if you wanted to get a new sofa, you wouldn't go to Argos. And obviously, Yes, we had physical stores, but we never displayed um, any products. Yeah. And so yeah. if you want someone to part with a large proportion of money um, for furniture, how do you do that when you're not displaying the product? And so we um, were keen to change the perception. And so we began encouraging customers to take photos of their dining dining room table, sofa, beds, you know, wardrobes, whatever it was, um, and sharing those on social media, but also including those images as part of their written review. Mm -hmm. And what we did with that, we created a a landing page, um, sort of curated that content and had a sort of um, a gallery of images, um, which was a shoppable gallery that people could then feel inspired, I suppose, from the Argos range. Um, And we saw a significant uplift. Again, people that interacted with that gallery, there was an uplift of about 8% in terms of conversion. Okay. Um, Again, it's a big, a big uplift. Big uplift, yeah. So that worked really well to reposition and um, furniture within the customer's mind. Um, that yeah, not just uni students, but actually this could be a lovely piece to sort of decorate your home. And that's great. And you, you did you incentivize people to upload their images again with the prize draw type thing? In the same way, yes. In the same way, but upload the images, put the images in the reviews. Um, mm-hmm which I'm seeing more and more now, actually. So they're not just being text reviews. A lot of people are adding images, even doing video reviews. Did you guys do the video, get customer video reviews on the site? 
so we did um we didn't left we didn't use bizarre voice because their technology didn't support video content which was a huge bugbear of ours for for a while and so we used to just um contact the august testers directly and encourage them to um do sort of more unboxing videos um sort of in their home mm-hmm. um, and then we kind of moved to selecting testers we'd either film in their house or we'd invite them to come um, to the studio as well to kind of test out the product um so yeah so we did we did sort of delve into the the world of video reviews and did that again have a an uplift on conversion when you started throwing video into the mix good question so we we only just started doing that sort of towards the end of my um my time there so i don't have any definitive mm. definitive numbers there but it was definitely something that the suppliers and brands were really interested in doing mm. so and they were able to again use that video on their own websites mm. on their own social media channels and you know you can repurpose that content um across multiple digital touch points yeah i mean that's a beautiful thing about all of this you customer creates it once you, you've got it on your website you put it on your social media i mean it just goes everywhere doesn't it and it's 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 great content if you can get customers to do it Definitely. so um well i'm i i'm i'm a million questions in my head but it's i'm, I'm aware of time um all super helpful and actually the the way you've just tied that in actually i think is quite an interesting sort of tie-in you've obviously left argos Mm-hmm. So you were doing this for four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you leave? Uh, in Technically in February, so only a couple of months ago. Um, just before COVID. Just before COVID. Although um, I kind of, so last year, October, mm-hmm. um, I asked for a sabbatical from work. So I was on a six month sabbatical where I went traveling. Oh, wow. Um, Southeast Asia, South America, um, West Africa. And then, yeah, kind of, you know, I mentioned earlier, I studied Spanish because I was interested in working abroad um, and always thought that that would come with working for a multinational company. Mm-hmm. And I think when you go traveling, you know, it gives you time to think and really um, reflect. And I loved my job at Argos. You know, I built the team, um, you know, we were collecting a million reviews a year we were market leading in this in that space generating incremental revenue of upwards of half a million with our august testers program so you know successful time um mm. there. but i wanted something different and um during my travels i ended up in ghana towards the end in west africa and there's just a lot going on there in the tech and digital space and it's a really exciting mm. time um and so i kind of felt that mm, i, I want to have a piece of that i want to explore that in in more detail so when i came back from my from my travels i sort of said i'm gonna sort of jump into that and sort of explore the west african market so wow. so, so that's what you did you 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 came back did you hand in your notice and say right i'm I'm West Africa bound now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So um, there wasn't. It was funny because um, you know there wasn't. It wasn't a huge surprise from my peers. They were a bit like, "Yeah, we kind of thought you wouldn't come back." You know, no. You know, no one sort of travels the world and climbs mountains and you know for six months and then comes back to the same job they left. So they, I think, they kind of had an idea that yeah, maybe going to change somehow, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. So. You've you've made the the leap from Argos. 
but into what, if you don't mind me asking? What are you, what are you doing now? So um, I am on the road to establishing the number one digital agency in Africa. So that's my kind of big vision. Um, I mean, the continent is seeing some huge changes, definitely in terms of, you know, internet penetration, uh, mobile adoption. I mean, the number of people connected to the internet is still quite low Mm -hmm. in the continent. Um, If we take Ghana, for example, Um, that's in West Africa. They've got 29 million um, population and about 35% of those are connected to the internet. Um, But that's increasing year on year um, by upwards of sort of three to 5% year on year. Mm. Um, In terms of mobile adoption, um, more and more people mobile connected, there's increased speeds, you know, 60%, I think it's 62% um, of mobile connections are on sort of 3G and 4G. So we're seeing a huge shift in how um, more connected the um, African consumer is is being. Um, And so, I think historically people have sort of shied away from the continent due to political instability, but that's improving. And from an e-commerce perspective, um, you know, logistics are improving, payment systems are now in place. So there's a lot of potential um, on the continent. You might have heard of M-Pesa, which is, um, it's a sort of mobile electronic payments via a mobile device. Okay. So you can, it's a Kenyan company, so you can, you know, access credit, savings, make payments, deposits, um, payments, you know, all from your your mobile phone. And actually that's been a big driver in um, sort of financial inclusion in Kenya and, and has lifted, I think it's about 2% of households out of poverty. Oh, wow. So, so there's a lot going on yeah, in terms yeah. In, in Ghana um, and in Congo as well, where I'm doing some work. Um, Congo uh, DRC, a large, really large, sort of densely populated country. I think there's about 87 million people there. Um, only about 6% are connected to the internet, but again, that is increasing year on year. Um, and the government last year just sort of launched this big digital sort of national plan. Um, where they're going to be looking at the infrastructure, sort of governance and regulations, um, you know, producing and hosting content, um, application usage. So, you know, key countries within the continent are really seeing um, sort of, you know, how African can really leverage sort of technology. Um, Especially mobile technology. Yeah, especially mobile technology. And so I... I think it's an exciting time to sort of be involved with that Mm. and evolve with that. Um, And I'm, you know, Caribbean background, I'm from the African diaspora and I feel, you know, that it's my duty really to kind of help the continent develop. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So how, what's your, I mean, that's your, your, your your grand vision, which is great. And and I I get the massive opportunity that is in Africa um, Mm. from a digital point of view. You know, just about everybody in England is already connected to the web, whereas the, there are these nations which are just the connectivity, especially through mobile phones, is is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. We're doing some work with a a medical practice, an international medical practice. I'm doing a bit of um, uh, digital consulting work with those guys. Brilliant what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they said that fascinated me is um, not everybody's got an email address which is connected to their system. 
but everyone's got a mobile phone number. Mm-hmm. And so where you'll go to my website to log in, you need an email and to, to go to where they're the kind of thing that they're wanting to do. Actually, it's not email that you need. It's a phone number. And actually we're not sending emails. We're sending text messages. And it's, it, it's, and he, they said to me, and he, they said, you'll be surprised at the level of poverty that people have, but they've still got a smartphone. Yeah. And so the, the connectivity I can see the skyrocketing, which is, brilliant it's amazing you know and it, it sort of levels the world a little bit so that that i get i i get the big dream and the big goal the big vision so what's your what i mean you're just you're stuck i'm in london now right how are you <laughs> how, what how are you doing this i'm just curious what your what your plan is for the next 12 months yeah so um luckily before the lockdown i was in ghana um in march um and forged some really escaping the british winter no doubt (laughs) yes yeah yeah, i I get that um and i forged some really good relationships there so there's a digital um agency there um who i've formed a relationship with and we're sort of collaborating on projects um i think i'm not sure what it's like for other parts of the world but on the continent if you want to do business there um the easiest way is to partner with, have a local partner. Okay. So, um, so, so yeah, so I've got uh, a group of guys um, in Ghana that I partner with, and I, I've also got a group of guys in Congo DRC that I partner with as well. So the guys in Congo kind of do more content creation, um, mainly animation. Um, the guys in Ghana are focused more on growth marketing. Um, and one of the gaps that we've identified is that, no one really looks at digital strategy. It's very much tactical at the moment. Um, and no one's is really planning sort of 12 months, 18 months. So that's where we sort of identified where I can sort of lend my expertise, um, within those two markets. Um, and so that's where we're sort of, we're sort of focusing on. And you'll find that there's a there's a bit of a skills gap particularly within middle management with digital marketing um and so the aim is for my services to kind of plug that plug okay. that skills gap that joanna sounds absolutely fascinating uh i'm i <laughs> i would love it if you come back in a year's time and tell us how you're getting on and what's going on in africa because i would i just would love to hear the stories um i've been involved with some ngos doing stuff over there um my uh, local church is doing a hospital build in Congo at the moment, DRC. Some amazing stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just, the stories that come out of it, just they break your heart, but they also uplift your spirits a lot. So um, well done would be my, I mean, that's a pretty brave move. That's awesome. I wish you every success. How do, um, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they, how do they get in touch? What's the best way to reach out to you? Oh, brilliant. So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, just search for uh, my unique URL is Miss Steel. Um, yes, on LinkedIn. M-I-S-S, Steel. S-T-E-E-L-E. Um, three you can E's, fo- the three E's, Steel. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, you can follow me on Instagram. That's joanna.diana.steel. So J-O-A-N-N-A dot D-I-A-N-A dot S-T-E-E-L-E. It's a bit of a mouthful, right? It is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can also find me on Facebook, again, Joanna Diana Steele, um, or you can drop me an email, info at Dimax, D-I-M-A-X, digital.com. So it's Dimax, the new business. Yes, Dimax is the name. 
and people can get hold of you that way. All of those links we will put into the show notes. Um, so if you're like driving, you're like, oh my goodness, I have so many questions, but I can't just head on over to mattedmanson.com and we'll put all the links there. Or what was your website again? Dimax, D-I-M-A-X, Dimaxdigital.com. Dimaxdigital.com. I have to say that with American accent for a second. Dimaxdigital.com. I know. Some people say Dimax. It's like, no, it's Dimax. But I get why people would say Dimax. Why, why Dimax, if I can ask? Taking your digital to the max. Ah, so there's got a bit of cheese-tasticness into there as well. That's what makes it memorable. Love it. Hey, people will remember that way more than Dimax. Taking your digital to the max with Dimax. <laughs> if you do a podcast, let me do the voiceover intro. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> hey, Joanna, listen, thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak to us. I've got lots of notes. I'm sure our listeners have as well. Some really brilliant and valuable insight into uh, all the things that you were sharing there. Thank you so, so much. Really appreciate it. And can I wish you all the best uh, with what's you. going on in Africa? Sounds amazing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks, Joanna. Thanks a lot. Okay. Wasn't that absolutely fantastic, Joanna? She's amazing. I I, uh, I love the fact that we could keep probing and she'll just keep answering the questions. No problem. It was awesome. Uh, so I hope you, like me, have got pages and pages of notes. Um, oh, Paul's put a comment here. Thank you. That's great. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, it's, it was lovely, wasn't it? And Joanna did a great job. Um, and I'm actually Please that your comments come up and the technology is working. Uh, she was absolutely fantastic. So do reach out to Joanna. I'm sure she'll happily answer any questions that you've got. Um, or if you're, you know, doing stuff over in Africa, why not get in touch? Make that connection uh, and uh, see see what new connections can, uh, can be forged. It works well, right? So do get in touch. Connect with her on LinkedIn. Uh, she would love to reach out and connect with you. I have no doubt. So thank you for listening to the show. Like I said, this is season two's finale. Oh, yes, the final episode of season two. But don't worry. Alas, no, we'll be back very shortly uh, with the start of season three. Uh, there won't be a massive gap. I know that because the podcast interviews are lined up in my calendar. Uh, so we'll be doing those really shortly. We've got some changes coming up, but the fundamentals remain the same. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, uh, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all of those places. We just like to be there. The only place we can't be, for whatever reason, is Google Play because they don't like podcasts that aren't American. Go figure. Uh, but do uh, connect with us wherever you get your podcasts from uh, and you can watch the video again. You can just head on over to mattedmanson.com, go to this episode and you can see the video, see Joanna uh, and join in the conversation there. We will also be continuing to broadcast onto Facebook uh, as we have been doing with season two, but we will also be going out to YouTube and LinkedIn. I'm hoping we can get that technology to work. So if you'd like to come and join us on the live broadcast, ask your questions direct to the speakers, just connect with them or just, you know, listen to the interviews like way before they're published on the podcast because you, you want the, you know, the latest up to date information. Then make sure you join us on all the stuff which is live and all the links will be on my website at mattedmondson.com. I'm going to do what uh, Joanna did. I'm going to spell it out. M-A-T-T. E-D-M-U-N-D-S-O-N.com. Make sure you get that U in there. Some people misspell it uh, and they mistake me for the Radio 1 DJ who has the same name, Matt Edmondson, but he spells his Edmondson with an O. I spell it with a U. You'll be amazed how many requests I get on Twitter 
because uh, on Twitter I'm Matt Edmondson, um, asking me to play a song on Radio 1 and you just kind of go, sure, just keep listening. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the Radio 1 DJ. But it is great to have you listening to the show. Do connect, do check out the website, do connect with Joanna, make sure you subscribe and we'll be back again very, very soon for Season 3. It has been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to do Season 2. So uh, stay connected. And we'll be back soon. All right. All the best. God bless you. Have a great day wherever you are. Thank you for listening to the Curiosity Podcast. You can subscribe or you can also join us on Facebook Live. See you next time.